What if the speed of light was 30 miles an hour? What if Earth had two suns? Which cereal mascot would win in a what fight? What if everyone lived underground? What if, it rained what if money grew what on if trees? What if pigs could fly? I don't know if that would actually happen. It's much easier to store a unicycle than to store a horse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Guys, today we are doing a throwback episode. You might be asking, what the heck's that? I'll tell you what that is if you don't have enough context clues. What we are doing is uh, we have answered lots and lots of crazy hypothetical questions over the course of this podcast. And sometimes we look back and we're like, man, I got something better. Let, let me let me get a give me, give me a gimme on that one. I got something else or I got something new or I want to take this from a new angle that I couldn't fit in the first time. So we have each gone back and selected a different hypothetical question from our past to recreate a fresh new answer for. It's a chance for us to correct our mistakes or. Oh, no, we're not correcting any mistakes. It's all it's <laughs> ignoring what we've done in the past is always perfect. Yeah, sure. Sure. Usually it's addressing something where we... That we regret. <laughs> yeah. How did, we, how did we not do blank? I mean, we had the whole, a whole uh, section of our show where we put in half the amount of effort for every question. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. And, and what Chris means is that we used to do two hypothetical questions per episode and squoze, squoze, squoze them both in, squeeze them both in. Uh, squaz. Squaz them. them. Squaz yeah. them. Yeah. We, uh... We squipped those in all together and, uh, you know, we had shorter answers with a little bit less depth. So now we can always go back and do a bit more. But I feel like I'm going to get this train rolling because uh, we have lots of questions to go through. So what I went back and did was episode 61. What if all sports were in zero gravity? And, and we've done a lot of episodes reinventing sports under uh, different conditions. And for some reason... I always end up doing water polo. I convert water polo into all these crazy hypotheticals. I think I just like pools. But I didn't do it for zero-g sports, and I am here to rectify that particular situation because... Have you ever played water polo? Heck no. I don't even know most of the rules still. <laughs> I, I just want to say, the most brazen of your make sport into blank answers, the most water polo was the one where it was doing sports in pools. You still did water polo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I did polo in water. <laughs> Anyway, water polo, <laughs> it's zero G. And this is the reason I'm back, because the first and obvious thing is, let's start with the water. Water polo is played in a pool. For those of you who don't know what water polo is, it's basically soccer, except people are swimming around and they throw the ball with their hands. There's a net on either end and you're kind of just treading water the whole time and passing a ball around and, you know, trying to throw it into the net. So what happens to a pool in zero gravity? Because... It doesn't, of course, nicely stay down because that's what gravity is for. And yes, this is at the point at which I wasted almost all my research time looking at astronauts doing cool tricks with water um, on the ISS and similar in zero gravity. So without water, without gravity, sorry, the water has no reason to stay in the nice rectangular pool and will just float around. Without gravity, the next strongest force that's going to start dictating what our water looks like is going to be surface tension. So just the water holds itself together at its surface. Um, it's what makes like little droplets and bubbles and all those things. The water's surface tension and zero gravity will s cause it to kind of slowly clump together into floating spheres. So it kind of looks like the most energy efficient shape it can be. And with the given the water tension, it makes it a sphere. So if you ever 
if you like throw water around in a space shuttle, it'll make little different size uh, spheres of water. Eventually, they'll all come together. So our playing field would theoretically look like a giant floating sphere of water. Which you could swim in, by the way. I, I was looking into if you'd be able to like swim in water in zero gravity. And there's really not any issues because you're just kind of pushing against a fairly dense thing to get momentum. So, yeah, the water would be pushed back. But you could definitely swim in it. You wouldn't like float in it, right? You'd just be in the middle of it? You would float in it in that you're also in zero gravity. The gravity of the water ball is not going to be enough to impact you like a pool sized amount of water does not have its own gravitational pull even in zero gravity that would be like significant well i mean there's not going to be like a buoyant force yes there's no buoyance there's no buoyant force because the buoyant force would be generated by the pressures of water from gravity and the weight of the water being displaced by different i'm gonna skip that explanation because <laughs> <laughs> i realized i would have to go back like three more steps to actually explain it and i'm not going that far in but as cool as this is our Sphere of water would not last very long once the game started, because while the surface tension is cool and in these like zero gravity environments, it's not actually going to keep the ball together if there's anything else going on. The surface tension strength of water is pretty weak. You just go right through water. You, you know, you sink in it. You break the surface very easily. And just because there's no other forces, it doesn't make the surface tension any stronger. So once your players start moving around and swimming, this sphere is going to be very quickly destroyed and your pool's worth of water will be flying everywhere in different sized globs and globules and, you know, bouncing all around the place. This is a problem. Astronaut Luca Parmitano can attest to that. He was on a spacewalk uh, and there was an issue with his coolant where it was slowly leaking into his helmet. So what happened is the way the space helmets are designed is that there's like the big dome helmet... And right behind your head, there's like this plate headrest, like this plastic plate headrest sort of thing, slightly off the back of the of the helmet that you kind of rest your head against. And the oxygen and the air comes up from behind that plate, shoots upwards, so it goes around the helmet in front of your face. So what was happening was that the coolant was getting into that the air that was coming in, and the liquid droplets were slowly building up on the back of the head plate because while water likes to make spheres the other things it likes to do is it does actually get sticky on surfaces in zero gravity because it's a dome on a flat surface is more energy efficient than the sphere so water actually gets kind of tacky like you can see if they like wring out a towel uh, in space the water that comes out will actually like collect on their hands and not go anywhere else like it'll stay stuck to that surface it's like a similar force to why there's surface tension right like from water to water yeah it, it has to deal with the ions having a charge and that lets them you know attract to other surfaces and hold together and you know lots of little like down to molecular level things like to hold together so what happened was with these water droplets from this air kept slowly building up on the back of his head plate and it likes to run across that surface so as it built up more and not like it doesn't fill the helmet from the bottom up it builds on the back plate and then slowly started encroaching on his head like covering his ears and going to you know threatening to cover his eyes and his nose and so like he could have drowned in there with like an inch of water on his face end of the story he was fine they brought they brought you know they, they canceled his spacewalk they brought him in they took care of it and it was not a problem but it shows the problem we would have if we just have a bunch of dudes, you know, floating around, you know, bumping into water droplets all the time. They're going to build up on your face and surfaces, and you're just going to eventually have, like, a little film of water on you that could potentially drown you. Again, it's all surface tension forces, so it's kind of easy to brush off the water if it happens. But it's going to be kind of a constant threat, and it's going to be tricky to avoid doing that. So what I think we need to do is you can't just 
go through a pool's worth of water and just always deal with it bouncing around. So what I think we need is some structure for the water to more favorably cling to rather than just be loose in the air. So let's keep the sphere shape because that's just cool. But the way we're going to structure it is we're going to have basically a series of wires to build the sphere and separate it into like a series of like honeycomb shapes, if you can follow what I'm picturing, where it's just kind of like a spider web of medium space wires that the water can now collect on. And what it'll do is it'll create almost walls of water, like almost like a bubble wand, where you'll be able to have the surface tension create flat surfaces attracted to the wires and not, you'll have less floating water all around. Also, I think it'd be cool because it might open up some like strategic elements of like which water walls to break through as you navigate through this honeycombed sphere of stuff. So we kind of have our field. It fixes the, you know, not drowning portion of our sport. But now if we're not swimming through water because it's hanging on our wires instead of on our faces, how do we get around? There are a lot of options here. So I'm going to start with some stuff I did, like jetpacks or just, you know, grabbing onto the wires and propelling yourself, you know, things of that nature. But I think part of the spirit of water polo is that you can only move so quickly and it is extremely tiring to do so over the course of the whole game. The fact that I would die playing it for like a minute. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is only for real athletes who like actually do cardio. So with that in mind, I'm going to skip to the conclusion and then tell you why it's great. I have chosen the best method of transportation, zero gravity, the air zooka. If you don't know what the Arazooka is, it is that that children's toy that consists of this big barrel-like gun. Uh, and on the back of it, it has an elastic uh, like diaphragm with a knob that you pull and you release. And it shoots out a big puff of wind. So they're actually pretty cool. If you if, Have you guys ever played with one? I have. I actually didn't know that's what it was called. I think the brand name one is Arazooka. And then there's like, you know, all the knockoffs. I've always been fascinated. I've never actually played with one, unfortunately. They do a better job than you would think. Like, the one they use, like, you can blow out a candle at, like, 40 feet with it, which is honestly pretty impressive. If you don't know what it is, look it up. I can't, I can't explain it anymore besides you just get, you have a big, a gun that you just use to shoot air around. So, here's why this is brilliant and makes this sport perfect. One, it definitely fulfills the slow and tiring criteria. <laughs> you are not going to go, you're going to have to build your momentum up over a series of wind puffs. Also, I think I want to make this the only way that the players are able to move the ball towards the opposing goal. Because if you can just, like, grab the ball and chuck it, I don't think anyone has enough reaction time with any form of transportation zero-g to actually, like, stop you from just throwing it directly at the goal and scoring. So it would be moving too fast if you could throw it. So you can only air puff the ball towards the opposing goal. So you have to really, like, figure out how to build enough momentum to score a goal here. You can use it offensively, too. You can use your air puffs to go while you're going one direction to push other players other directions as well. You can rob them of their momentum. You can use it to pop the water walls around you if you like. You know, you can use this air puff to do other things as well. Also, and I think this little cherry on top is that it's also a safety feature because there's still going to be water around. It's not like you're going to have no water on your face. And if you get too much, you just puff on your own face and boom, water's gone. You're safe. You don't have to worry about drowning. So... That's pretty much what it is. It's just, you're in a sphere, you're going through these honeycombed walls of water, and you're just puffing around with your little air zooka. And that is how you play water polo in zero gravity. So it's not like a... Because when I was first imagining this, I was imagining like an orb full of water, but it's not full of water. It's just the outside is water. So imagine like a bubble wand where you have like a perimeter with like a film between, like, you know, around it. 
So, like, most of those sections would be full. So, yeah, you would be in the air generally, but you'd be, like, in a a series of, like, small hexagonish rooms where you'd have, like, four, you know, you'd have, like, five or six different ways you could go in the sphere that would either have a water wall or, you know, have a destroyed water wall already. So you'd be, like, moving around the sphere that way. Okay, but you won't be, like, in the water the whole time. You'll be going through water walls. Yeah, and the water walls will break up, and so there'll be, you know, some amount of water around. But, yeah, generally you're going to be not underwater. You don't have to, like, breathe. I'm trying to avoid the you just the drown part. problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a cool, unique take on it. All my water polo sports are unique. I take pride in that. Chris, <laughs> what did you uh, what did you do for yours? So the question that I looked back on was from episode 17. It was, what if all buildings were made of Legos? So in this episode, I think Ben talked about, like, what if all buildings turned into Legos overnight and, like, everything would just break? And that's what he talked about. I think Marcus tried to, like build an aquarium for some reason with legos yeah i built an aquarium because i knew that would not work very well (laughs) (laughs) and what i did for my answer was i tried to design a house of legos uh like structurally and see how that would work and i say tried because i definitely made mistakes (laughs) yeah let's also i'm also gonna throw in here before chris you get any further chris screwed this up the first time i'm gonna see how he does this time Chris should not have screwed this up either time because you are an actual factual structural engineer. I wasn't licensed before. Now I am licensed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. I, had, I just had the just I just had like the eight years of education, and now I got eight years of education plus like one more year. <laughs> yeah. So, like one of the main mistakes I did actually wasn't really like a mistake. I sort of intentionally just made it simpler because I didn't want to spend the time to do it. <laughs> was that I said that the columns for the house were all you need was like six four by four bricks, like Lego bricks. So like six wide and six long of those four by four Lego bricks for your columns. And obviously this is wrong because like normal houses, the columns are bigger than that for normal structural materials. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And the reason why it worked in my calculations is because I ignored I basically just ignored all horizontal loads and only looked at vertical loads, but there's like wind and there's like earthquake loads and there's other loads. So I basically just did it for simplicity because I only spent like two hours doing it. And I've actually never got a chance to like acknowledge this mistake, like on the show. I might've mentioned it in like a a behind the scenes episode or something. I don't remember. I definitely didn't mention it on any of the main episodes. So now I get to (laughs) (laughs) The, the, the deep, the deep guilt coming out 135 episodes later (laughs) yeah and i'm actually we joked about me trying to do this again with my license i'm actually not going to try to redo the calcs wait what (laughs) (laughs) mainly because i'm kind of lazy and i don't really trust myself to not mess it up again and also (laughs) because i listened to episode 17 and my portion of the episode was with the calcs it was actually pretty boring it was a lot of numbers and it was hard to follow and it was i just didn't like it I'll just say that the outcome of that episode is basically that the design was pretty ridiculous. So, like, I think we, we said that we could use glue for it. So we ignored all the seams in the Legos. It would just be, like, the material of the Lego. And if I did that, then my final design had a four-foot-thick slabs of Legos for the floors. And that's a very, very thick slab for a floor. So 
uh, yeah, it was it was a ridiculous design that combined with the tiny columns. <laughs> and I, in that episode, I also mentioned that they have built real Lego houses before. And those real Lego houses used wooden frames because structurally it wouldn't be able to hold itself up. Such a scam. Such a scam. I know. And then they just use the Legos as like the aesthetics of it. It's like Lego wallpaper. I was very excited for that special and very disappointed about that special. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that it wouldn't be able to stand up is basically just because of the material that the Lego is made out of. It's made out of ABS plastic, which isn't very strong as a, like a building material. So I wanted to look at, instead of designing a new house with just normal Legos, I wanted to look at new materials for Legos and see if anything worked better. And Lego has actually been, like Lego the company, has actually been testing new materials. They're actually looking for more sustainable materials because they've been using the same ABS plastic for like a really long time. They've been testing like plastic recycled from bottles and stuff. And for their materials, they say that it needs to meet their safety and durability requirements because I guess they want like all their new Legos to be able to fit together with Legos that are like 30 years old. Um, it can't like deteriorate and like change dimensions or else it'll mess things up. And actually the ability to snap to other pieces is what they call clutch power. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know why they gave it such a weird name, <laughs> but they emphasize the importance of the material being able to be molded to an accuracy of a hair width, because like if it if the margin of error is any bigger than that, then like it'll affect the ability to snap together. And it just ensures that new Legos work with old Legos. And they said that they haven't really found like an existing sustainable material that meets their standards. So they they're going to need to probably like create a new material is what they said. And I don't think they've found anything yet, but this just shows that like it's not the material that defines the Lego. It's like the shape of the Lego and the ability to snap together is what makes a Lego a Lego. It can be any material. And to highlight this even further, there is actually an official gold Lego brick made by the Lego company. So they're actually very rare. It's a two by four Lego brick made with 25 grams of solid 14 karat gold. These were actually given out between 1979 and 1981. They were given to very select Lego employees and partners just based on like if they did something really special for the company or something, or they're like an important person or something. I think I read they had like 10 of these or like maybe fewer than 10, but each one was worth around $15,000. We can't even build anything with those. What are you going to do with 10 two by fours? Oh, I built a wall. <laughs> yeah, you build a wall. <laughs> I don't know. You could be creative. Oh, I built a weird wall. <laughs> and then there's also a Kickstarter by some guy that got funded in 2020 for metal Lego bricks. So he made them out of like all different types of metal. I think there is aluminum, brass, titanium, copper, and iron. And they actually look pretty cool. I, I went to the Kickstarter page and the picture, like he printed the table of content, the table, what's it called? What's the table called? Elements table? <laughs> the periodic, periodic table, table of elements? Periodic table of elements, yeah. There you go. He printed like the square from that on each one. It looks very fancy. This actually got funded and he said that he developed a method to manufacture these with a margin of error less than 0.01 millimeters, which is very precise. And that's exactly what like what Lego is looking for is precise. So 
these are very expensive. They're not as expensive as the gold Legos, but each of these bricks is around $200 per 2x4 brick. And the titanium one's a little more expensive. It's $329 per brick. These are obviously stronger than plastic, but they are very expensive. I wanted to look at something else. So I looked at wood because we use wood for construction a lot. Can we make wood Legos? And yes, you can. There are a lot of wood. There are not official Legos, but there are a lot of unofficial wooden Legos on like eBay and Etsy and stuff like that. So it's definitely possible. And the strength of the wood would probably just depend on the type of wood you use. It varies a lot depending on which what species of tree you're using. But you could find a stronger wood. And instead of using like a 2x4 brick like we've been looking at for this whole time, I feel like that's not the ideal piece to use. I want to like see what the largest official Lego piece is. The largest one I could find was um, it's like all the pieces have uh, ID numbers. So the ID number for this one is 30072, and it is a 12 by 24 brick. So it's like a flat piece with 12 little pegs and then 24 pegs in the other direction. And it's about 3.7 inches by 7.5 inches. And then it's like 1.1 centimeters deep. So I'm thinking that like if you want to build something with this, instead of like building just one on top of the other, you would you'd stagger them so like it's basically overlapping half of the other piece sort of like if you're laying out like bricks then you like overlap them and we said that glue was allowed so you you could glue these together you'd attach them and then you glue them and what i'm basically making is a glue laminated timber beam which is an actual thing that we use in construction it's a little different so glue laminated timber beams they're like you take a really, really long, thin, like, plank of wood, and you, like, glue them all together so there's, like, layers of wood stacked on top, and they're all held together by glue. That's basically what we're doing. We're, it's a little different for us because we're not using, like, really long pieces, but we're it's still sort of similar. We m- might need to make them a little beefier just because there are, like, more seams and stuff. But I think you could basically make, like, a construction equivalent with this, And since we're using wood, and since like all the real life Lego houses use wood frames, I was thinking, why don't we just make our wood frame out of these wood Legos? And yes, it'll have a wood frame, but it'll still all be Legos. And it'll look like Legos because we just put normal Legos outside of the wood frame and we're good. And I don't have to have ridiculous dimensions for my house. It'll just look normal. I'm trying so hard right now to imagine this in a way where you're like, hey, I built my house on Legos and I came over very excited to look at it and you showed me these glue laminate beams and you're like, hey, look, yeah, see, the, they got studs on top. They're Legos. <laughs> They're yeah. Legos. I'm trying to find a way, which I'm not incredibly disappointed, but I see They're it. technically Legos. <laughs> <laughs> the best, technically correct. The best kind of correct. Yeah. So that is my answer. That's how I corrected my mistake. We'll try again another 130 something episodes. <laughs> Ben, what did you do? So we did in episode 114 a science fair grab bag. Uh, and in that episode, we did we did three answers. We did um, the good old, you know, volcano made with whatever you make those volcanoes with. Baking soda and vinegar. Baking soda and vinegar. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> One of your answers was just potato on this Fred sheet. It's <laughs> potato charge. Like, like the, oh, the charge of... Yes. Yeah. The electrical charge of a potato. Potato battery. That's right. Potato battery. And then I did um, Coke and Mentos and tried to make a rocket ship. 
And after, I think basically immediately after we recorded it, I realized that we should have done Spaghetti Bridge, which is, of course, a classic uh, science project from, you know, from, from school. So we, we thought so long about what is the obvious third science fair project. Like a week we were talking about, like, there's got to be a third one that's really obvious that we're missing and couldn't come up with it. We tried so hard. We settled for Mentos and Coke. Yeah. That was our settle answer. Exactly. Which, I mean, it was, I'm glad we did it, but I can't believe we missed Spaghetti Bridge. Anyway, a spaghetti bridge, the idea is you have some gap and you're supposed to make a bridge entirely out of spaghetti to bridge that gap. And then you see basically how much weight it can support. So I wanted to find some actual like direct rules for this. And I found a world championship, the RECCS uh, world championship in spaghetti building organized in, by a Hungarian university, the University of Abuda. Abuda? I'm not going to pronounce that correctly. It's a, a competition where college students come in teams and make both bridges and the more vague structures, which as far as I can tell are kind of more like tower type situations. They did have rules laid out. The pasta must be made solely of flour and water optionally with eggs. They can be homemade, but it has to be just standard pasta. You can use adhesive, but only to bind together at the joints of your structure all they say is, and I quote, any appropriate glue can be used, which is kind of vague, but whatever. And you cannot strengthen the pasta by coating it in glue or gluing together like parallel pieces of pasta. The only place you can use that glue is on the joints to keep it together. Making your own pasta for this competition seems so wild to me. I love it. It very much, it's not like a, you know, like a big prize money thing or anything. It's something that college students do. So it's not like that involved in the rules it felt very much like come on guys just it's pasta you get the idea yeah my my pasta recipe is you know flour water portland cement Cement. (laughs) (laughs) the bridges had to be between a meter and 1.3 meters long no taller than 0.6 meters and it had to have a five centimeter wide pathway that you could put basically like a little tiny like boxcar across was kind of the idea and importantly it couldn't weigh more than one kilogram in terms of the results that they saw in this competition, by the way, the most successful one and the one I've seen claim was the world's strongest. Although I don't, this seems very like specific, so I don't know how precise that claim is. Uh, was from 2013. There was a Hungarian team that had a a bridge that weighed 999 grams and held 570.3 grams, which is pretty impressive. I will note, by the way, if you Google for this, the news article that talks about it says 570.3 kilograms, which is clearly not right. <laughs> you cannot make a one kilogram spaghetti bridge thing and hold 570 times its weight. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know, Ben. I don't know. I will also say my other assumption that that was an incorrect statement on the article is that in the results on the page, all of the weights are unlabeled, but that includes the weight of the bridge itself, which I know from the rules has to be less than a kilogram. So it's sadly not insanely strong building material spaghetti doesn't work so the problem you have when trying to scale up a spaghetti bridge from like the science experiment situation is that you can't just scale it up and have it work the same way Um, because of something we've talked about many times which is the cube square law which is when you know when something gets larger the surface area increases to the square of that size increase and the volume increases to the cube of that size increase which also means the mass will as well And what's going to wind up happening is that if you try to make a full-size bridge out of spaghetti, it's not going to be able to hold itself up. Just the weight of the pasta will be too much to even hold the pasta up. 
I could have conceivably done some sort of calculation to prove this instead, because I did not want to do that. See, you're, I'm, I'm not the only lazy one. Okay. I'm just going to say, I had to premier go from scratch and figuring out the structural integrity of spaghetti because, man, I searched for it. What I do have is the world's largest pasta structure, according to, like, Guinness, um, which was in 2011, a group of students from the Islamic Azad University in Iran used roughly, roughly uh, 33,000 meters of spaghetti to make a 103-kilogram, 24-meter-long, 5-meter-tall, 5.5-meter-wide structure, which is... Certainly not big enough to, you know, be a, like, full-size bridge. And that's just as a structure that can support itself. That appears to be, you know, sort of the max. Because no one is... I mean, I'm sure that you might be able to get a little bit bigger, but not to, like, a huge scale. And certainly not to the point where you could support a vehicle with it. I also like, by the way, in the article I saw about that, it noted that while the structure was built completely of spaghetti, in the future, similar structures can be built out of other materials, such as aluminum. Which, yes is true that is a thing you could do build things out of not spaghetti so we're going to just rule out using literal spaghetti to build a bridge could you make a brick out of pasta hypothetically yes right pasta is just flour and water and sometimes eggs and conceivably you could make a pasta dough make a brick of it and put it in a brick press the way they used to you know to press like clay into bricks and heat it until it dries out to the point where it is solid Technically, yes, you could do that. The problem you're going to run into, there's a couple. One, pasta is far more brittle than clay. <laughs> I do not have a source for that. I think that one's self-evident. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to have there's a lot of issues with that. But bigger than that, your problem is going to be water. Pasta will absorb, wa- absorb water just anytime it's in contact with water. It obviously goes much faster if it's boiling water, like you're actually cooking it. But if you put dry pasta in room temperature water... It will go soft like it was in boiling water in a couple of hours. Um, that's actually a way that you can save energy when you are cooking pasta while you're camping. Is just soak your pasta in water first. And then it'll cook faster because it doesn't have to soften while it's cooking. Fun fact. Life advice. Could you just soak it and then eat it like that without cooking it? You could, but it would be raw flour. Well, yeah, it would be raw flour, which I think is weird for your digestive system in some way i don't remember exactly what happens but it's not great but if you conceivably made pasta bricks and made a pasta bridge out of pasta bricks when it got wet over time it would eventually just sort of get all jiggly and doughy again which is not something you really look for in a bridge generally and conveniently most bridges are very close to if not directly on top of water so even ignoring rain you're still going to have a very human environment, it's just not going to work out well. So long story short, you're not going to be able to use your good old-fashioned flour and water pasta to make a bridge. So let's go slightly more outside the box and stretch our definition a little bit. Let's talk about nuclear pasta. What? (laughs) So nuclear pasta is a theoretical substance that makes up the crust of a neutron star. So when a star collapses, if it's at a certain mass where it's between one and three solar masses, so one to three times the mass of our sun, the core of the star will collapse and crush together all of, you know, all of that matter into an incredibly dense neutron star. If it's bigger than that, it just becomes a black hole instead. That's kind of the density we're talking about here. So it's like you're not quite dense enough to get a black hole 
but you get the next best thing. And this nuclear pasta, what happens on the crust of this neutron star is the nuclear attraction and Coulomb repulsion forces that act on the neutrons and protons are at the same magnitude, which means that they form these complicated pasta-like structures that have fun names like spaghetti, lasagna, gnocchi, and my personal favorites, anti-spaghetti and anti-gnocchi. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You're making up at this I point. I am not making up anti-spaghetti and anti-gnocchi. <laughs> Those are real. I'm, I'm, I tried to Google anti-Noki and it's go. It's, it just came up as is Noki anti-inflammatory. Hold on, I'm I'm putting I'm putting the fun scientific diagram I found in our chat. It doesn't help our listeners, unfortunately. But this is the di- the diagram that shows the seven structures of nuclear pastas: Noki, spaghetti, waffles, <laughs> lasagna, just... defects, anti-spaghetti, and anti-Noki. <laughs> so this substance is incredibly dense and incredibly strong. Uh, theoretically, it's around 10 billion times stronger than steel. So obviously, if you had nuclear pasta, you could easily make an incredibly sound bridge out of it. With one small problem. That problem being that neutron stars, as I mentioned, are incredibly dense, which means that everything in a neutron star becomes much like in a, you know, the similar black hole situation, much, much heavier than it would anywhere else in the universe. So the sort of not really figure, but rough figure I saw was that a sugar cube's worth of matter would weigh more than 1 billion tons inside a neutron star, which is roughly the weight of Mount Everest. So a tiny, tiny bit of nuclear pasta would somehow wind up on Earth because it would suddenly not have that environment that would allow it to stay so dense. It would basically explode like a nuclear bomb. And that's for that tiny, tiny bit of matter. So if you somehow had a bridge that just popped into existence made out of nuclear pasta. I did not do any actual math on this. <laughs> I don't think it's required. My assumption is that it would be quite a big explosion that would probably, I don't know, tear the planet into several pieces. In twain! Yeah, at least. If not thrain. <laughs> so I guess the answer is you probably shouldn't make bridges out of pasta, whether terrestrial or nuclear. Because it's not going to end well on some scale of disaster. Oh, we blew up the world. We blew up the world with pasta. But Ben, the world has so many cool facts. Like, I I fact-checked that bridges couldn't hold that much, and they fucking can. That was not a typo, Ben. Bullshit. (laughs) I'm reading this high school thing right now. So, these kids, you know, this is a totally different side, totally different school. They weigh less than a pound. Like, the winning one was 10.85 ounces. To pass... It needs to hold 25 pounds. Decently constructed ones can support 40 or 50 pounds. Hmm. The all-time record is 795 pounds. Well, all right then. So you can build a one-pound bridge that holds... Yeah, you can build a one-pound thing that holds 800 pounds, and it'll be made out of spaghetti. And that is why engineering is cool. I stand corrected, then. (laughs) I stand corrected. Live fact check. We don't have to do a throwback episode for it. (laughs) Nailed it. Jesus, those Hungarians are insane. All right, and with that with that hot fact check and exploding the world, I mean, I guess that brings us to our Would You Rather question. Ben, are you ready for uh, a Would You Rather here? I am ready. All right, set the stage. You are world leader. You are in charge of everything. Your dictatorship has ruled the world. You are in power. You can make decisions. But you have this decision before you to save the planet. Would you rather... Eliminate paper products 
or eliminate emissions to save the environment. Oh, what does eliminate emissions mean? Does that mean like we can't do things that emit? Let's say no fossil fuels. Okay. That's not like we still consume it and it just doesn't emit. Because I was going to say, technically also, like, we emit carbon dioxide when we breathe. And I don't <laughs> yeah, really no, want to eliminate that one. <laughs> yeah, that's like, careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> and the monkey's paw, uh, one, more, one more finger curls down. I feel like with regards to paper products, paper is something you can recycle relatively well, right? Like, I know that different things recycle to different degrees. Is paper one of the ones that actually recycles well or no? I'm going to say the answer is the sa- both of these save the world. You don't have to worry about which one's more eco-friendly. Okay, so both of these are like a final solution that solves everything. Yeah, you, you're, your experts have come in. Either of these two things will save the world. It'll keep it under, you know, 1.5 degree warming. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's just which is more annoying to deal with, not having paper, not having fossil fuels, huh? Yeah. I mean... I'm of the belief that we should get rid of fossil fuels anyway, so personally, <laughs> this one seems pretty clear to me. But, like, I feel like fossil fuels affect a lot more things that we use. Like, we won't be able to use a lot more things. In the short term, yes, but mostly because most of our most of our infrastructure is designed around fossil fuels. So, one of the... Hi, it's time to drop some knowledge that I just know off the, off the dome here. One of the big issues with power generation is converting from fossil fuels into electric power. Getting something that's more directly electric, like solar power, is actually way more efficient in that regard. The problem is that our infrastructure relies on that, you know, combustion process where you lose like 80% of the energy in a thing before you even start turn a wheel or whatever. Well, and solar panel, you know, it doesn't work at night, so that's a problem. That is a technically <laughs> true statement. Sorry, I just knew that. I just knew that would infuriate you a little bit. Yep. <laughs> yep. But then we we won't have lights when we need them. We won't. What's the use in it? We don't need solar power the day the sun's up there. Who cares? We can already see. I also feel like this question though is an overnight thing. So like, sure, long term we'd be able to adapt, but. Right now, our infrastructure is reliable, relying on it. And like, if it happened overnight, then we'd be screwed. Hmm. If it's an overnight thing, you have to get rid of paper because like, there's going to be a rush on bidets and that's your big consequence, I guess. But like, what's the timeline where it becomes the fossil fuels one? Let's say it's got to happen within, a, it's got to happen quickly, like ASAP. It can go as fast as you go. Again, you are, you are ruler, dictator of the world. And your people are going to be dealing with this. I mean, I feel like if that's the case, you unfortunately do have to go with paper products. Invest in bidet stocks first. I already made that joke. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do what I want. I'm the dictator. <laughs> exactly. Dictators can retell jokes. Bow to me. <laughs> Laugh again, peasants. Have you ever used a bidet? I haven't. I actually have not somehow. I also have not used a bidet. I want to, though. I, th- I think I want to get one. You're going to get you're going to buy one. I mean, they're pretty cheap. They're not that expensive, right? They're like a hundred bucks or something. No, you can, there's the ones that, definitely ones that are cheaper than that. That aren't like standalone ones. That are ones that you just like hook in to your toilet bowl. Yeah, you just like connect it. You can buy an accessory. Now I'm like, now I'm like, let's see, hold on. Bidet, Amazon. All right, we need to not go into an actual adult conversation <laughs> about bidets and costs. We probably should. <laughs> the convenience of installing them. All right, I see a crappy one for forty dollars on Amazon. So there you go. You don't want a crappy bidet. It's supposed to be uncrappy. <laughs> That's the whole point of it. 
And that's four and a half stars on Amazon. So, I mean, that's all I'm saying. So it sounds like this hypothet- or this uh, would you rather is purely based on the time frame. Yeah. I mean, at least in my, unless I'm not thinking of something here, right? Like, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. The issue with the premise is that paper products is just like a, a life inconvenience where I, I lose a bunch of stuff that I can't have anymore. Emissions is like, okay, there's a, there's a societal change, but once things are running on alternate fuel sources, it really doesn't impact me at all. So I will say in terms of societal change, the one big thing with paper products that I'm, I'm not making like about toilet paper, that would, I would assume, include like cardboard, which would have a lot of ramifications, but... I feel like they're... I mean, I think we could replace cardboard still. Yeah, more replaceable than fossil fuels, unfortunately. <laughs> Everything's plastic. We saved the planet, but <laughs> tripled our plastic output. But wait, don't those all use petroleum? Oh man, that's a much better would you rather. Remove paper or plastic products. That'd be so good. I should have done that one. I should have modified this one. Well, now we know for next time. <laughs> <laughs> On a throwback, would you rather? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's do our final determinations. I think we've hit the bottom of the barrel here on this. Would you rather? Yeah, I'll start. I usually don't start, but I'll start. I'm gonna say, get rid of the paper products. I'm a big dictator. I'll let the world burn. I, I I'll just ride the narcissism to the grave. I also say get rid of the paper, just because the time frame thing. I think it's. Uh, I think that's what this question is. I'm gonna throw a wrench in this. I'm a dictator. I'm gonna say get rid of fossil fuel because I personally want to do that, and I'm a dictator, so I'll be fine. Y'all can figure it out. <laughs> All right, awesome. So, if you would like to pay tribute to your three overlord dictators that are definitely not gonna have to duel to the death immediately after this show to determine who is actually in charge of the world, you can do so directly with your hard-earned cash money that you tilled the fields for by going onto our Patreon www.patreon.com slash absurd hypotheticals and you can put your dollars into the vault uh, that we dive into that's full of money all the time like a scrooge mcduck except in charge of the whole world instead of just i don't know does scrooge mcduck have a business empire i don't know what he how he makes his money how did scrooge mcduck make his money don't know that'll be a question for next time (laughs) (laughs) you can do that to help support the show out of the goodness of your hearts and your loyalty to your overlords or you can do it because you want that sweet, sweet extra bonus content that we release each month for our patrons exclusively. Every month we release a bonus episode with all sorts of different things in it. They're cool. Check them out. You get access to all of them for just a singular dollar. No tears, no nothing, just one singular dollar. If you enjoy the show and you don't want to give us money directly, you can always leave us a review. That helps us grow the show. Or if you want to be part of the show directly, send us questions. Absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com. You can just email us. A question straight to that email address and if we like it we will let you know and we'll and it can be right on the show and that's a really cool way to be involved but in any case if you don't want to do any of those things or if you've already done all the three of those things you can join us next week where we answer the following question which robot would win in a fight mm-hmm.